Longshot the Dice Game, Gran Turismo 7, and Everything Everywhere, all at once. This is staying in. Like, my mum has become essentially my own kind of like private curated like Reddit list. <laughs> R slash mum. Don't go to R slash mum. No. <laughs> but just, we'll just send like post things just randomly. Like, you know, there's a mansion in the area and I don't know what my opinion is, say, for example, of that or... A lo- she sent a lovely picture of a flower in her garden. I just love it. It's just wonderful. You just never know what you're going to get. It's this wonderful lucky dip. And literally about 10 minutes ago, I got sent mm-hmm. an article from The Telegraph. And it's, it's, it's in where I grew up, Worcester, Worcestershire, I grew up. Okay. With just the headline, the headline on its own just induces some kind of anxiety in me. All three of us have been to weddings and stag do's and... Mm-hmm. Two of us have organised stag do's, and I don't know how this would ever work. A as a stag do idea, but also as a business one could run. So, what what do you think is one of the worst thing, one of the worst places to stage a stag do? A campsite, funeral parlour. <laughs> how about a particular mode of transportation? Oh, and a camper van, and a mini. No, different terrain. What do you mean a no. different terrain? What like an a uh, hovercraft, a ferry, a kayak, a kayak. A little kayak. bit bigger, between a kayak and a ferry. Uh, one of those boats from the old south in um, in America with a paddle paddle steamer. Oh yeah, steamboat. Yeah, yeah. Oh nice. No, um, so the headline is canal boat stag party ends in disaster. <laughs> canal boat would be good if there was if there if if there was three or four of you. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. No. No, no, because because the thing is, with a canal boat, you've got to go through locks. Right? There, there is a degree of responsibility, yes. There is agreed. a degree of responsibility, and if we know anything about stag do's in general, now I'm not I'm not saying stag do's I've been to because the people I know tend not to have irresponsible stag do's, but if we know anything about British drinking culture and stag do's, it's that the last thing you want to do is give a load of lads the ability to fundamentally change the flow of water in the British, like, the British Isles. Like, that's not exactly. a good idea. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you read audiobooks? I play... Do you always play games? I play video games or I do chores. So, my father-in-law also reads audiobooks, but he do- he doesn't do anything whilst he reads them. you just sit in a chair and so he just sits in the chair and reads them but to make matters even more confusing he's now got these fancy pants bluetooth um hearing aids so he can do like loads of remarkable things like you know control like different frequency levels depending on the room he's in to help him like pick up on conversations that's cool but sometimes you'll walk into the house and you'll just be sitting on a chair head in hands looking like the world's about to like crush in on him yeah just in complete silence not really speaking or responding to anyone right and then he'd be like kevin are you are you, you okay? all right 
Are you all right? And he'd be like, oh, 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 I was just reading my book. Oh, I was just, <laughs> just sending. I was just, I was just, I was just reading about uh, those queer eye uh, lot, uh, the the autobiography of that queer eye lot. They, uh, they, they had a really tough time. Um, and over Christmas, it was just like you just look over at him and just be like head in hands, yeah. just sitting there, just like that statue. Just reading. <laughs> yeah. didn't, you, Sam, Sam, didn't you tell me a story about like in the middle of the night? <laughs> yeah. yeah, once, once. Uh, <laughs> once my in, my my in-laws were in bed, and my mother-in-law turned to my father-in-law. He was sat bolt upright in bed with his glasses on and the lamp on. And she asked him, what on earth are you doing? And he went, I'm reading. <laughs> he was just like, just listening to his audio These book. are my reading glasses. Of course they are. Yeah. Yeah, of course they are. Oh, That's gross. incredible. Anyway, the only thing he's removed from the original experience of reading is the act of yeah. reading. It's the actual <laughs> Everything <laughs> else around it. Oh, anyway, so Three Musketeers. So finished Three Musketeers. I finished that up. I finished uh, Virginia Woolf's, uh, the, uh, a big collection of Virginia Woolf uh, works as well. Uh, mm. Finished up a bunch more Woodhouse. Uh, and I'm now on to... I'm now on to Cold Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons. Uh, I don't know if you've heard mm. of this one before. It's, it's, recommended, it's recommended in a lot of lists for sort of... Like, it's difficult... I find it's really difficult to find humour books it's always all the recommendation mm. lists are always read pratchett read hitchhikers read red dwarf ben elton maybe a bit of ben elton yeah, yeah. but um so uh that was one that i didn't really recognize and i thought actually yeah i'll give that a go and it's really good and the reason that i am putting so many i'm i'm just putting to bed so many books is because i've picked up gran turismo 7 oh the perfect audiobook slash podcast video game yeah it is oh boy i don't often get to talk about like modern video games but let me tell you gran turismo 7 is uh my jam like i love racing like i i've talked about this before but i absolutely love racing games love racing games of all stripes and and kinds like simulation games to some degree and racing simulation games i find are really good fun when i've got the right sort of like set up and stuff like that like i find racing with a keyboard awful so i haven't didn't really play many of the sort of like pc based simulation races which is where most of them are to be perfectly fair with you but i really love things like wreckfest uh played gt sports uh played i basically played every single uh, most of the grand turismo's i would say by this point love wipeout all that sort of stuff and picks up grand turismo 7 and i'd heard a load of bad stuff about it and i didn't pick it up in the first couple of weeks because of yeah all the bad there stuff was a lot of about. bad monetization stuff yeah um, there was surrounding it there was and um i've not run into any of that now that might be because they supposedly have gone fairly like pretty much back on it as in they've actually like um they've made it easier to earn money which i think was their main which was the the main sort of like criticism of the the audience who wanted to play that game so basically the the core thing with the monetization it's a simulation racing it's a racing game there you go that's the that's the, the core thing that you need to know it's a fairly realistic one um if, yeah. if you've not heard of grand Turismo before uh the course uh, monetization thing which i think is the thing that get got people sort of spooked to begin with is they actually have you can buy you can pay you pay for everything with credits and you earn that naturally through the game just by playing that's the one currency they have and you can also just buy more of it in the PlayStation Store if you want. You can buy it in packs of however many millions of credits and stuff like that. And you buy cars with that. And um, there was a criticism of the game that basically when it came out, it was really difficult to earn money. Therefore, surely, 
they were trying to sort of gouge you for a bunch of money and maybe they were i don't know but i didn't play the game during that uh, that first couple of weeks i played it basically about three or four weeks after launch and um i have not run into any of those issues it feels like the same gran turismo grind as i had back in gran turismo 2 days and i'm going to specifically point at gran turismo 2 did you folks ever play any of the gran turismo games uh, I think Gran Turismo 4 might be my jumping on point. I'm just going to have a look at... What was the PlayStation 1 one? There was Gran Turismo 1 and Gran Turismo 2 on PlayStation 1. I mean, I, I played them primarily on... You remember when you back in the day when you'd get a, place, a PS1 and a PlayStation 2 would come with a little demo disc? Yep. Gran hmm. Turismo was often... I'm writing saying Gran Turismo was often seen as the kind of the benchmark or test yep. for the... A new console's doubt. prowess, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's so. When I, you know, when you get a new console, you want to think, okay, well, what does this what thing do? Yeah. Gran Turismo, chuck that in. That's a great way of, sh- okay, well, look at that. And that was it, really, for me. It was always just, sh- it was almost something that you put on in curries to yeah, show how yeah, good the telly yeah. was and how the console was, and that was it. Absolutely. And Gran Turismo Seven does that. Weirdly, it does it. So I'm playing it on PlayStation Four because I don't have one of those fancy pants PlayStation Fives. Gran Turismo 7, I think, does that for PlayStation 4 because I have never played a game that is more beautiful looking from a high fidelity perspective, like in terms of artistry and stuff like that. It's, it's very, very good, but it's, it's trying to do realism, right? It's not, it's not trying to do this like naturalism, like, uh, I don't know, like Sekiro or um, I don't know, something else like uh, Uncharted, right? It's not trying to do naturalism in that way. Th- those games have really good art direction. Uh, whereas this one is, it's got good art direction, but it, it's it's trying for realism. Um, I've never seen a game more beautiful on PlayStation 4, the, the sort of visual tricks that they're doing. Uh, mm. So, for example, when you, and this sounds really petty, but like when you drive into a tunnel in GT7, the eyes of the camera take a moment to adjust to the darkness. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Right? And when you are driving underneath let's say, a dappling light through a tree. That dappling, you get that like flickering. You get that flickering, but you also get that flickering on not just the bonnet, but on the dashboard, and that's then reflected on the window that's in front of you. Like, wow. the whole thing looks absolutely beautiful. I'm sure it looks amazing on PS5 as well. Um, I've seen a sort of comparison video, and they look very, very similar. It just takes a lot longer to load on PS4. <laughs> um, the reason I point at GT2 is that it feels like Gran Turismo 2 again. Because it has, like, there were moments where I was sat in my living room and I would turn to Alex and I would go, you can wash your car again. Or they've got the used gar- the, the used car garage. Oh, my God. Oh, like, that's-, that's really cool. That's from the original. Like, that's from GT2. Or, like, there were bits where you would buy a used car. So, And this is really, like, this is stuff that the GT2, like, really put in. Like, there's so much of that stuff in GT2. Um, you buy a used car and you have to change the oil. Because like mm. it's an old it's an old car, right? But there's there's so much more than that to it now. So it's got a story mode. So there's this through line directing you through the content of the game. One of my criticisms I would say of GT Sport and GT five, I think it was, on PS3, was that you kind of had to push the game in the direction you wanted to go in. Like it didn't really sort of like move you along. Go, okay, here's the next part of the here's the next part of your learning and your career and all that sort of stuff. Whereas seven, 
basically says there's this cafe it's called so you go to the cafe the Grand Turismo <laughs> cafe and um it has this story mode it gives you these menu options and these men- uh, literally in a cafe menu and it says okay what we want you to do is we want you to go and get all of these japanese fr road cars mm. yeah okay 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 mm. yeah. i just want yes. to send you a yeah. previous episode where yeah. Sam posed the question to the group was, which is the one subject Sam does not like talking about? Sure, it's cars, basically. Um, <laughs> Although it's a lovely image you've conjured up here of you going around a tight bend in your Japanese RV, listening to yeah. Mrs. Dalloway. Yeah, it, it, so it's exactly that, right? It's exactly that. And like these story things, there's no, you know, there's very little actual story that's going on here. It's basically just go and collect these things. But it's just yeah. I was going to say, are you like a driver no, role playing? I, or is it, it no, just, it's yeah. just an excuse. It's all of it's a MacGuffin, and that's you fine. dress like speed racer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're delivering tofu down the mountain. I would say a very small percentage of people will get that joke, but very few, but those people will go. <laughs> uh, so, um, so basically, basically, it's kind of just threading you along with these things, and every part of the game is about that. So that you've got your story stuff, which is you know, go and collect these cars and enter this competition and do all that sort of stuff, and that's fine. That kind of leads you by the nose through progressively more challenging races. Then there's the license stuff, which they've had for years and years and years, where you go and learn how to do things like. Uh, controlling the weight of the car, for example, right? Which So if you're able to control the weight of the car effectively, you can actually hit, hit faster speeds through corners. And the game will teach you how that works. It will teach you things like throttle control, right? So it's not just a case of like, hit the, like, it's not just a case of like, accelerate is on. Like you're using the L2 and the R2 on the controller with, with great degrees of analog sort of sensitivity so that you don't just in the wet round uh, Nürburgring, you're not just going to like a, a second gear turn and then as you come out of it, slamming the, the acceleration on because basically your, your back end just like ends up turning out. And yeah, the game yeah. will teach you why that's happening, why it happens, how different cars handle that. So if you've got a drivetrain that's FF, FR, MR, four-wheel drive, RR, like whatever these weird little combinations of you know cars are, um, they will it will teach you how to handle that situation and actually get better at driving. I suspect that'll be really interesting with the adaptive triggers oh, on PS5. I I bet you it would. And here's the other fun thing about the controller, and this is how, uh, I did this with GT Sport and I've been doing this with um, GT7. Um, the thing I always feel like I miss out on whenever I play a racing game like this is I don't have space in my home for a racing wheel and a racing setup. And believe you me, if I did, I would totally buy, I would probably put a few hundred pounds into a cockpit seat, a decent steering wheel, and a decent set of pedals, because I absolutely love racing games. But I haven't done that, so I won't be doing, haven't, haven't been doing that. But what GT7 and GT Sport has is you can use the PlayStation 4 controller, I assume the PS5's probably got this as well, you can actually use that as a steering wheel. So you actually tilt the 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 yes, controller itself that's what i like yeah to drive to to turn the wheel of the car now it sounds cuz i cuz in sport they had this and i just thought this is surely a gimmick like yeah. i've played we like we games i know what this motion stuff is like this is nonsense and this is going to be rubbish I have not changed since I tried using a steering wheel in that way. Like, and GT7, it is now 
even better. So I am driving and I feel like I am actually turning the steering wheel. Like not and not in a weird like Wii playing Mario Kart like it, it kind of doesn't really work out all that well. Genuinely feels like I am steering the car, which is really really amazing to actually and I don't feel like I'm losing out on any of that fidelity because I've got the L2 and the R2 with those analogs and I've got that analog steering ability rather than just hold left or hold right. I'm actually being really careful about yeah. what the angle I'm actually turning things at. So you got all this stuff, story mode, getting your licenses, learning about how the thing works, missions, which is where you end up with things like you're driving this really slow car you need to overtake all these other very slow cars uh, at like at 25 miles an hour around a speedway right how do you do that like how how do you overtake things by in in cars that are just not built to be able to do this and it's almost like a, a it's almost like a racing puzzle like how do you overtake on the Japanese uh, Tokyo highway track when basically the width of the road is your car and their car sat together and that's it how do you how do you overtake like that without clipping the wall or clipping your opponent and you learn about how these different racing types actually feel to drive so when i'm racing in a F1 a Ford F150 when I'm racing in that, I feel like I'm like king of the road. I feel like I've got like a huge vantage point because I, I race from within the cockpit. And by the way, all these cockpits are like immaculately detailed and like everything looks mm -hmm. amazing. You know, obviously it looks incredible because Kazunori Yamuchi, who runs the thing, is an is a maniac. Like like in in terms of like he like he, the level of detail is bonkers, right? But like when I'm driving an F-150, I feel like, oh, I know why. I know now why people like to drive F-150s. You feel like you're a king. Like you are, you've got super high advantage. You are, you're able to see loads of stuff, and you feel really safe in this F-150. When I'm driving a a Formula One car, because uh, it goes from, it, it runs the gamut of like, there's, there, you know, you can you can drive a Samba bus, <laughs> you know, a VW Samba bus, all the way up to you know uh you know a modern formula one racing car when i'm driving a formula one racing car if i'm whipping around laguna uh laguna seca for example i am understanding that essentially what i'm driving is a jet engine like like, like I'm, I'm 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 driving a jet plane that has wheels like the the ability for me to turn and brake on a dime is so different and every car feels like this every single car feels totally different so i actually purchased alex's car in the game so i purchased uh, a polo <laughs> and i i went driving in it and and she said oh yeah this is this is this is a polo this is this polo like this that's what the dashboard everything looks the same yeah it it mm. is a bit it does feel like this to drive like it does feel slightly sensitive when when you go around corners that's really weird and of course uh, they've also uh, one of the things that they've improved upon, and again they've gone back to, I would say. Be, so GT Sport basically, the, essentially there was the upgrade path was sort of linear, whereas with Seven there's loads of different stuff that you can. I mean, you can completely change and tw uh, tweak and tune every single part of the um, part of the car, including things like gear ratio lengths. Like, do you want to be in second <laughs> gear for longer? I don't know. Maybe you do, um, but you can do all of this sort of stuff. We put regular driving wheels at with a stock polo and whipped it round brands hatch right that is basically taking my partner's car round brands hatch and it is like it's fantasy fulfillment 
Like it is like it's is it? Yeah. Is, when have you sat down and just gone? Oh, no, oh, I just want to. So take my partner's polo round brands up. So I so I don't have a driver's license, right? I, well, I, yeah. I and and I, I can't. You I have can't, everything but. I have everything but the yeah. driver. Right, exactly. You um, can barely run, so I, exactly. you're not driving. <laughs> Absolutely, right? I, I wouldn't know how to start a car, let, uh, let alone uh, uh, whip it around um, Spa-Francorchamps in, uh, in you know, uh, a few minutes. But basically, there is a fantasy fulfillment there of these are real-world cars that you could access. Like, you could yeah. access these cars. Like, they're just... Some of them are regular cars, and obviously some of them are supercars, some of them are concept cars, and you know all that sort of stuff. But you can you can get a Polo, and you can take it round the Nurburgring, which is a real thing that, as a human being, I well, I couldn't do it because I'd get arrested. But Alex could take her car to Germany and go round the Nurburgring because it is just a public open racing course. She could do it is, that, yeah, yeah. right? And it's just that there's that fantasy fulfillment of like I I could drive this car i could i could do this stuff and as i say you know it, it joins this um increasingly large repertoire for me of games that are they are audiobook games they are things that i put on an audiobook and i'm listening to that in in, in the background and it's keeping that part of my brain entertained while i'm trying to figure out racing apexes when i'm going around autumn ring or you know putting in trying to put in hard lap times into uh monza So with the story then, so the group had rented free barges for their, dr <laughs> their drink fueled weekend, but by the end of the first day, yeah. one lay partially submerged and another had been abandoned. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. <laughs> I mean... Just leave it. Just leave it. No, just, no, leave it. Just, just leave it. Everyone on this one. Everyone on this one. Do you think anybody will notice? No. 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 We only took two. Not three. No. The stag party had hired the barges from local rent company ABC Boat Hire. <laughs> ABC mm -hmm. supposed to be easy then, isn't it? Really. But only a few hours after taking to the water, they had managed to crash into another boat. <laughs> the group carried on down the waterway, but when they tried to navigate their way through a lock, as Pete alluded to, disaster struck and one of the boats became stuck. By the time rescue team rescue teams and volunteers and the River Canal rescue arrived, That's the vessel sweet. was partially submerged. As a result of the blockage, the water levels in the canal rose and a number of nearby roads were flooded. Oh, my God. After getting the boat stuck, the stag party decided to abandon the second vessel as well and all clambered aboard the third barge. Oh, good, yeah. Oh. What, to continue drinking and partying, I imagine? Yeah, but can you imagine, like, they've hired three boats for a reason because they felt that one wasn't enough, two wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of all of them piling on from a single barge... Yeah. Not a good idea, man. I just, I just, the, the, the very notion that somebody went, let's, should we hire these out to stag parties? That just seems ludicrous to me. Like, just, just like, hey, you know this thing that's like actually quite famously like sinkable? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't trust a stag party with, all right, here we go. Here's the game. What is the maximum level of responsibility you would trust your average British stag party with, right? So, all, so obviously, like, Fabergé egg is right on the end of, like, you would not mm. trust a stag party with transporting a Fabergé egg all the way down to having a nice time. You probably, you probably trust them to do that. Where, where, what's the absolute line in which you'd start to go... Anything with thrashing machinery? 
Threshing. <laughs> what? what a, threshing. I'll tell you what we're going to do this weekend, lads. Lathing. Oh, mad bants. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Silversmiths. Any, anything with any level of unsupervised machinery, right? So quad biking is right on the edge, right on the edge. There's a supervisor yeah. there who, if somebody's going to hurt, if somebody hurts themselves, they'll at least be attended to in fairly yeah. short order, mm-hmm. right? But like, you wouldn't let them take the quad bikes out unsupervised because you'd be like well this no. is this is clearly ending up where in yeah. the same place that the barge is right you know um that thing where oh i'm an old man now because when chris was reading that story i had a quick thought in my head of oh, this is why insurance premiums are so high <laughs> <laughs> no, <this is> like... <laughs> I, I i thought the same genuinely sam <laughs> I was just like, if anyone, if people could just behave themselves and treat things with responsibility, I wouldn't have to pay a fifty quid deposit just to go camping like I had to do the other day when I when I went on a stag do. And I was just like, what has happened? What has happened? The thing about that, Sam, is what that means is some party before you has caused fifty pounds worth of damage to your average campsite. I don't know how you make fifty quid's worth of damage to like a like tuft of grass but it's definitely been done i think we all got a clue when we turned up and we all we all went there we there were tents already pitched for us and we were setting everything up and one of them one of the the stag party pointed out that in the middle of the dirt there was just this sign saying please don't burn these logs (laughs) and it was just like stakes that they'd use just to like demarcate areas and just like They've only put that sign there because someone has basically set well, fire to half the campsite. It, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like remember when we first started doing escape rooms when we were in Bristol? Mm. The preamble yes. before going in was really short. Yeah. And in each subsequent year we've gone to an escape room, that preamble before you go in has gotten longer yeah. and longer and longer. Please don't yank the radiators off the wall. Please don't try and get out of the windows. <laughs> don't smash anything. Nothing needs to be attacked or punched. Like if it doesn't easily move, it's not meant to be moved. <laughs> it's probably my favourite one, yeah. Oh, crumb. So it, it, it's it's quite an exciting time at the moment. It really is. And everything, everywhere, all at once is a film that Sam is really keen to see. Yeah, so I'm checking out, guys. I'm going to... Um, I'm currently playing um, Trip 1907, which is an interactive escape the book game um so i'm going to do a a few chapters of this while um you're talking about this because i literally don't want anything anything right i've watched the trailer once and i was just like yep i need to see that film i don't want to know anything so i'm checking out so send me a text when you're done bye off you go bye okay so this comes from daniel kwan and daniel shinet aka the daniels they're called daniels did you ever watch swiss army man no well, they're the directors of that, essentially. Okay. Is that good? Uh, is that is that a recommendation? I would say so, yes. It's bonkers. And for those who've seen it, you'll know what I mean by that. Okay. It's often been derogatively called the farting corpse movie. <laughs> but okay. it's... Okay. It, it, okay. But, it's, but it's strange because behind that really bizarre and macabre premise is a lot of heart actually strangely and that's what i that's what kind of attracted me to swiss army man it, it never allows itself to get too saccharine and it realizes that actually in the case of swiss army man love is 
can appear in all sorts of places and it and it and it's beautiful and ugly and it can be both those things simultaneously and it can be heartbreaking and uplifting and and in some respects a bloke stranded on on an island or stranded with a corpse that only communicates through farting can actually have a lot of heart and i know it sounds ridiculous doesn't it it's interesting you say that you don't really follow film news well the interesting thing about everything everywhere all at once is there are i've seen no billboards for this film at all Mm. all the marketing for this film was really relied on word of mouth and it released in the states uh, a few weeks before it released over over here yeah and it's just been these whispers rumors going oh my word you need to see this film you need to see this film so so chris why do i need to see it like like people keep saying oh 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 i need you need to see this but i nobody is saying anything about it i'm frustrated I'll tell you the story. A Chinese-American woman named Evelyn, who's played mm-hmm. by the wonderful Michelle Yeoh, okay. is being audited by the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah. And the kind of like figure for that, the officer in charge of that, is played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay, yeah. And Evelyn is a frustrated owner of a laundrette. Okay. And they have grown embittered and distant from their lovable but hopeless husband, Waymond who's played by Ki Hui Kwan. And okay. this is this actor's particular, you know, it's, it's notable for their return to cinema. They haven't done it in years. They were in The Goonies and they played short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. This is them coming back to cinema. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And what a film to come back to. And they are phenomenal. <laughs> and and, and you, you mentioned you mentioned another actress earlier. Sorry. Michelle Yeoh. No, the other one. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I recognise that name. Who's Jamie Lee Curtis? She played Laurie in Halloween, and also last film I saw her in properly was Knives Out. Okay, right. So talent, like yeah, talent. lots of talent. Okay. And Evelyn is com- also perplexed and uh, and is, and becoming more and more estranged from her daughter Joy, played by Stephanie Sue, who's also incredible. All whilst housing her relatively conservative and traditional father. Gong Gong, mm-hmm. played by James Hong, another fantastic, legendary actor. Okay. So this premise here has all the makings of a soap opera or a farce. Mm-hmm. And you, you can see all the drives of all the characters, all their wants and dreams clearly articulated and all their yeah. frustrations and all their tensions and all these kind of conflicts bubbling there. Yeah. You know, you've got a daughter who wants her sexuality accepted, a husband who feels forced to enact divorce proceedings, though he doesn't want to, he doesn't know what else to do. A father that wants to be waited on. And in the centre, you've got Evelyn, a woman who wants to earn their father's pride and respect. So you kind of, it, it sounds like a very typical indie film. You can imagine watching the trailer, some acoustic guitar playing, lots of scenes filmed in abandoned places at sunrise yep. and sunset, all those kinds of things. Yep. You know, you'll, you'll see like the laurel reefs to say how many awards it's got from like, <laughs> you know, different festivals. Yep. Now, take that premise and imagine that you force-fed it like a ton of psychotropic drugs. All right. So Evelyn discovers that she can travel between multiverses and live the lives that could have been, and importantly, bring back the knowledge and skills from those other universes into her present universe. And then chuck in some science fiction, some dark comedy, some fantasy, martial arts, and a bit of animation, and basically just strap in, really. It is... An absolutely bewildering, beguiling Hmm. fireworks display of a movie that simultaneously and effortlessly conveys to you their conception of the multiverse so succinctly in 140 minutes. 
it's amazing Marvel is spending an entire phase four trying to do this. Whereas in this film, in one film, through clever use of cinematography and um, exposition that doesn't clog up the story, I just you just get it and you just go for the ride. And, we, you know, we in some respects decried the fact that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness didn't feel that mad. This is mad. This is bonkers. But so, OK, that does actually sound really quite interesting. Why... Why is it bonkers? What does the because obviously some the, some of the stuff that you're talking about there, yeah, that that does sound kind of off kilter. But the what is it that kind of takes it into the into the world, like into that world of is it psychedelic? Is it um is it just kind of like does it come out of nowhere? Does it like what like what is it about it that actually just makes it like off kilter? So to give you an example, one of the worlds they go to is a world in which everyone has sausages for fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and rather than just being a little visual gag, you'll cut back to this world and you see these people living their lives. You know, it cuts to Evelyn playing the piano with her feet because obviously you yeah. can't do a lot with your fingers. So the entire world has been designed around stuff you can do with your feet. And it cuts actually to, in a brief kind of flashback to 2001, yeah. the opening where you see um, ape-like ancestors with sausage fingers killing, you know, essentially what would become homo sapiens it was that point where that choice was made that led to that reality (laughs) and i don't really want to spoil it too much but it's what i should say is that it's not just about evelyn evelyn in some respects has been chosen because there's a bigger threat than evelyn just having to fulfill her taxes and part of the, the the comedy of it is she is suddenly thrown into this where there's this huge kind of universe shattering mission that she has to complete where the stakes are incredibly high Mm. but she's torn between that thing genuinely she's torn between that and having to get her taxes done and (laughs) it it, it's it's incredible and and what i love about it is trying to kind of make sense of it it's pointless just just go for the ride don't bother just go for the ride and just let it just just enjoy that high and with that and this is where the Daniels are so perfect with this. And this is why it's an indie film that feels more indie than it. It feels like an indie film that's standing toe to toe with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It surpasses it, in my personal opinion, is that all the effects, everything was done basically by six people. The directors themselves taught themselves in rudimentary CGI um, to kind of design in clever camera trickery. It's phenomenal what they pull off here. Hmm. But at the center of all this kind of martial arts kung fu stuff that erupts, which is amazingly choreographed, is this human story of a family and how all this multiverse stuff is just this wonderful catalyst to try and expose and confront these tensions that have manifested in this family dynamic. So you get this wonderful kind of moments of heartfelt moments between family members and it's so it's got this gorgeous core and the anchor that the core that everything orbits around is the titanic performance of michelle yoa Hmm. who this is this is a career defining performance it is phenomenal they're all fantastic the cast in this genuinely and i i went saw it with my partner and the drive home we weren't trying to we were we realized when we were talking about the film we weren't trying to puzzle it out piece it together all we were talking about was our kind of phenomenological experience of it, how it made us feel. Nothing about, oh yeah, I like that scene here, that there. No, it's like trying to dissect a painting just when you actually should be looking at the whole thing and just how did that, how, how was the meal itself 
as opposed to this section of the meal just okay. just enjoy it just enjoy it there are scenes that i saw that i never thought i'd ever see in cinema i never even imagined they would occur in cinema i, I can't imagine anyone thinking about putting that on the screen because it's just such a bonkers concept and it and i'm not even going to say it works it's just there and it's just beautiful and it's refreshing and it's it's everything i hoped it would be and it is everything everywhere all at once the title is the clue that sounds really cool man that sounds really really cool like in a world of cinema that that every outro sting is a joke every soundtrack is you know a 1980s or 1990s pop song turned into a sort of like melodramatic cover or dark cover uh where every other sort of movie feels like a rehash or a remake or or whatever this kind of sounds like a genuinely new experience like that actually sounds that sounds interesting i'll tell you one thing i'm glad about Go on. i'm glad to finally have my voice back you lost your voice i, I lost it yeah i lost my voice where did you put it i did what happened but yeah it was it, i think it was hay fever just got me just crept up on me so bad that i got this sore throat and then i was at a leaving do for a colleague which was a very noisy place which involved a lot of shouting which didn't help my job involves a, naturally a lot of talking and then and then i went to chris's and we had a we had a raucous gaming evening which oh my word also also involved a lot of talking and shouting debating consideration it had everything teamwork and um, I think all of that contributed to, to my voice being being lost a little bit. But it was worth it, absolutely worth it, because we played cool. for the first time yeah. since February the 21st, yeah. 2020, Pandemic Legacy Season 2. <sighs> so Chris and I started Pandemic Legacy Season 2 a month, less than a month because it's February, less than a month before lockdown 2020 isn't that isn't that bonkers and we've only just picked it up again and quite rightly i'd say we felt it would be a little bit insensitive to resume that during it didn't feel right Absolutely. did it sam it didn't feel right no no and we'd also picked up jaws of the lion which is yeah. a superior game so <laughs> but we we thought okay we, we sunk in a few months when we mo we met up last week didn't we yeah we did uh, well no we only did two but we played it three times so we lost one and lost. If you're familiar with how the pandem pandemic legacy works, mm -hmm. then you'll know what we're talking about. But yeah, it was great to, to get back into that narrative, remember actually what's going on and kind of what that season is doing, which is which I find really interesting, is how explorative it is and how much it feels like we are exploring a new world. And... I think what I love about the Pandemic Legacy series and what it does really well, both the games that we've played, is how those emerging narratives come up out of the game. Like already we've only played it four times and places like Lagos and Jacksonville are getting absolutely hammered by the plague. And, you know, that's those will be different cities and different locations for everyone who plays it. But it's just like already me and chris have got this narrative about like we, but we've got to save lagos like jacksonville is getting hammered we've just got to get stuff to jacksonville just save it save it like like all, we're almost now trying to decide which is the city that's eventually going to be lost because 
um, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 has this new feature where you have these little like scratch card panels on the bottom of the characters. So if you're ever left in a city which has basically become so overrun by the plague it's it's been lost, you will get exposed and you scratch off one of those little squares at the bottom of your character card. And it'll either be nothing, it'll either be a scar, which is which will give you some sort of detrimental effect, like one less card in your hand, or your character could just die. <laughs> and like that would be it which Chris reminds me that's why we shouldn't be pumping all of the good skills just into just that. one character yeah Russell yeah. Hobbs <laughs> has become our MVP at the moment and I'm worried yeah, we're putting we a lot on pumping. Russell sorry wait do you mean <laughs> yeah, we... the creator of the kettle or uh, you know the man of fact name yeah, of our character one of our characters great great grandson um, <laughs> yeah but, yeah that's what I thought. But but yeah, it was it was a delight. And um, we also played Marvel Remix. And this is a game which is based on fantasy realms. Well, it is fantasy realms, but it's just now Marvel. So um, instead of a, a fantasy theme where you're wizards, wizards and knights and all that kind of fantasy stuff, now it's Marvel where you are Spider-Man and Hulk and... Um, Doctor Strange and whatsoever. Okay. And Marvel Remix is I'm, I'm tempted to bring it down for when when we get together Pete because I think you for one might really enjoy it as much as I do mm. because it essentially gamifies card drafting. That's it. That's it. Like it just it just turns card drafting into a game and what what I mean by card drafting is something you would essentially do as like a throwaway mechanic in um, a game where you would be effectively trying to create the best hand of cards for in order to play a game with. So, for example, people do it a lot with Magic the Gathering where they'll open up a lot of random booster packs and then pass around the cards, taking a card yeah. each time from the stock to try and create like a the, the best deck of cards that they can in that moment to then play the game with same with things like sushi go passing the cards around trying to create sort of the best take the best things at the best time Mm -hmm. marvel remix slash fantasy realms is a little bit is there's no card passing to as such but there's a central sort of discard area so on every turn you either pick up a card from the deck or you pick up a card from the discard pile right Whenever you discard, it goes into a central, central thing. And but all you're doing is is trying to create the perfect hand of eight cards. And how you define perfect is that you're just trying to create the best elements of synergy between the cards that you've got. So, for example, someone like um, just taking example off the top of my head, like Thor scores plus six points if you've also got Molnir in your hand or if you've got Asgard as a location in your hand he will score more points if you've got those things in it and then you know another card will score more points if you've got pairs of a certain symbol in your hand and there are other things like villains who will appear in your deck and they will give you minus points unless you meet certain criteria like one was like minus three points for every hero that you've got in your deck so you've got to think really carefully about right i want to get these heroes out so i'm not getting lots of minus points but i want to keep the some of the heroes in because they're creating little bonus energies and synergies with with everything else 
that's going on. And it's like there is just a simplicity about taking a gaming mechanic that most of us will be familiar with and just saying, that's the game. Like, mm. just try and make the best hand of cards. And I really liked that that reduction, that that very sort of stripped back approach to to a game design and fantasy realms does really really well like it's getting a massive big anniversary edition soon like it's you know lots of people really like it i'm not a big fan of that fantasy genre so for me marvel remix is is a perfect sort of entry to it the art that they use for the for the cards is is exceptionally good like they've picked a really strong sort of marvel stock to get the um to get the images for it and you know i just i just really like it because there's something which is, the, and this is the reason why I think you'll like it, Pete. Is there something innately interesting about about being handed a deck of cards and immediately being able to go, right? Let's look and see what we've got. What what can we do with this? Yep. You know, it's like yep. it's it's like the um, it's like the shopping bag challenge in Ready Steady Cook. It's like I just bought you a random bag of stuff for ten quid. What can we do with yeah. it? Like we've got some stuff. Yeah, we've got some stuff in the larder. We've got some stuff in the cupboard that we can that we can add, but. How are we going to make the best out of this situation? What I think is really interesting is that you can end the game really quickly because the game ends mm -hmm. when there are 10 cards in the discard pile. So there are moments where I'm thinking, okay, I could end this now, but do I feel looking at Sam, trying to read Sam, is, has Sam got what he wants or is he waiting on that one card that right. will prevent him from losing loads of points because of that villain that's in his hand. And I can only infer based on what's in front of me. Oh, he picked up that card I discarded last time. It must mean he must have this card. There's no way he would have picked it up mm -hmm. otherwise. Or did he just pick it up because he wants the game to keep going on for longer because he knows it'll end yep. if we have 10 cards in the discard pile. It's such a simple little thing. Yeah. But already the cogs are whirring and... That 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 wonderful that that kind of sense of knowing when to end the game is something that's really lovely because you could just end it because yeah I'm done with this I want to end it and just see what happens if yeah. you wanted to mm. yeah and 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 you know it's just it just does a real good job of handling those delicate moments where you know you might just want to discard a card and come back to it later yeah and those little like elements of risk and reward like you know just drawing a card off the top of the deck knowing that it's going to add to the increasing discard pile which is you know elements of that from lost cities and games like that which i which i really really like so yeah that was that was uh, a, a joy to play i've ever told you about the time when i used to work in local radio mm. someone gave me the gig once of being the pa announcer at a boat show <laughs> near where i lived <laughs> And for the whole day, I basically just had to um, talk about how good boating was <laughs> and about what different things you could see around the show. Wow. And <laughs> the pun intended, I've never been more out of my depth in terms <laughs> of like having to talk about how good the boating action was at this particular boat show. <laughs> God, look at how well that's floating. To be honest, I made the mistake of saying and um, messing about in the water at three o'clock. It's the Wind and the Willow show for the kids, and then I was just like, "Well, I couldn't. I, I, I'm just going to repeat that line every hour now on the hour until three, <laughs> until three o'clock." Yeah, that was um, that that was that was good good time. I think I got paid a couple of hundred quid in vouchers.
No, um, <laughs> in boat vouchers. In boat vouchers. They have their own currency down at the wharf. <laughs> the, the, the National Boat Voucher Council. <laughs> I've been looking for a copy of Longshot, the dice game, for a while. It, I think it was kick-started and... So it's very, very difficult to get hold of a retail copy. You can only back order through the website direct. And I just never thought I'd get a copy, you know, until later on this year. But I was in Travelling Man in Manchester and I saw a copy. And I was like, oh my God, but this is a lot more than I would spend on this copy. A copy, a copy of this game. So I left it thinking, no, I wouldn't bother got halfway back to the car chris and i and i just stood and i just stopped and i was just standing on my own in manchester and then i just thought i just gave myself a little minute and just thought no i'm going back i'm, I'm going back i deserve to this, this. I'm, I'm going back so i was on a, because my car was on a uh um like a a timer thing like a meter specific car park to a meter I had, to, I had to run back to traveling man put down this copy put it on the credit card i'll think of that that's that's a problem for future sam to deal with <laughs> and then and then i picture this copy in this small little box with a little magnetic lid with these eight wooden horses on the inside chunky pieces and lovely chunky pieces my son is obsessed with them and i worry about them every day that they're going to get lost slash damaged mm-hmm. but he's got to have his nays. he's got to have his nays. anyway so long shot the dice game is a roll and write game Tick, tick, tick. Let's just get out there. But it is also a gambling game. Okay. And it provides such a safe, reassuring and relaxed. I don't know if relaxed is the right word, but it provides such a a lovely space in which to explore that thrill of gambling and wagering that is, is exemplary. Like, I think it's one of those wonderful experiences where if you're like me and you love the feeling and the process of gambling mm. but i don't bet on horses i don't yeah, me bet either. on anything yeah, yeah. besides the lottery but i love a little bit of risk and i love the reward that it follows mm. so if there's something that can provide like a safe wonderful space to do that which also doesn't feel too overly competitive with other people like my gambling is not going to take other people down mm then that's the kind of like thrill and balance that I'm looking for. Then, you know, this is the game. This is the game that does that. Because how it works is you have these eight horses that all line up on this start line at the beginning of the game. You roll these two dice. One has got numbers. One is an, a D8. So it's number from one to eight. And the other one's a D6. But I think it's numbers only go between one and three. Mm-hmm. And the D8 tells you which horse is going to move. And the other dice tells you how many spaces that horse is going to move forwards. So the first thing you do is roll the dice, move a little horsey. Nice. Then you look at that horse and at the bottom of that horse's card are all the other horses that are in the race. And if it's got an X on one of those horses, it means that horse is also going to move one position forward. And then once you've done all that, then it comes to the roll and write part of it where you decide how to spend that dice roll as currency essentially and you can do things like spend it at the concession stand which is like a little grid based puzzle which can give you several bonuses there's um the option to buy a horse you can like chris in the first round just went 
I'm going to buy a horse. <laughs> like, spent all the money got from the start of the game just buying horses. He literally horse just outright. left the start line. I thought, I like the look of that. <laughs> it's one. like, I'm having that. I like the look of I'm that. I'm having one. that. Buy it. Um, you can do things like buy the jacket of the horse that's racing. And that allows you to essentially put an X on the bottom of another horse's card. So essentially you're you're able to move other horses that you might have money on as part of that secondary movement more effectively as the race goes on. And then the other thing that you can do, which is fundamental to how the game works, is placing a bet. And you start off with $12 and you've got to manage that money in placing bets on horses that you, are, you think you're going to win. And the joy of this game the joy of this game was remarkable because as you said like as when we first started me and chris kind of had our eyes on a couple of horses to start with chris just bought his i bought mine a little bit later and then we were kind of like set because if you own the horse that wins you get a certain you you will get a payout essentially so you're kind of investing in that particular horse winning so me and chris were just shouting and screaming at the table like come on number three come on number three and like chris just did that thing where he marked number three on my horse's card so it was just like yes number two like skips three heads forward but who's this is number three coming up behind like it's always there just tracking behind mine and i thought i thought in this game that once like some of the positions would be decided that the rest of the game would be a bit of a damp squib but it was even more exciting and tense than it was at the start so chris's chris's horse finished first mine finished second and then we were left with the other six horses and me and chris have been putting all our energy and all of our money on these two horses hoping that they would win yeah so we hadn't placed a single bet on the other six horses and they were just like looking at the field going oh my god like who 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 do we think and then suddenly it became like we were just you know either doing lots of like spread betting like putting lots of bits of money on everyone or like throwing our money into another horse and being like come on number eight come on number eight just that is the thing isn't it like one, one, one of the things i remember i remember having um family holidays in Winchelsea and the one thing i always liked about it was going to the arcade in Winchelsea and mm. they had one of these little used to put 10 pence pieces in and then a horse race would begin. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Right? And it would like be this mechanical... It wasn't even a video game. It was like a mechanical game, right? And the, the horses, you'd put it in and you'd, you'd bet on the, you know, two to one. You know, they would most likely win. And there is something, yeah. and I think this is, a, this is a very difficult thing to kind of broach, but I think that I don't gamble. Like, I, I've just never seen the, the appeal no, of it, yeah. right? Like and no. and some people enjoy it, whatever. If you've got the money to do it, whatever. Um, but like, so I I don't enjoy losing money on a system I know is rigged against me. Like that that <laughs> that's ultimately what I don't like about gambling. However, there is a real thrill in everything else related to gambling, right? Like it's mm-hmm. why when I open a packet of trading cards and I look inside, like it's a blind pack. And I look through it and I go, oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then there's that that hit. You're waiting for that hit of dopamine of the rare. What rare have I got, right? Oh, so exciting. That hit, that joy of like that le- level of gambling in that, in that situation. There is something really, really appealing about that. And it sounds like it's kind of the same here. Like, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. here's the enjoyable parts of that, except 
you've paid for it once <laughs> you won't keep yeah, paying yeah. for it and 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 i think because i'm not a big fan of gambling games either what i love about long shot is the fact that when you start the game you have nothing it's not like oh i've got number four what can number four do okay right well pressure's on me to make sure this thing crosses the finish line we could have waited until like the last moments of the game there's a point in the in in the game where unless you've crossed this thing off on your board once a particular once the horse passes this line you cannot bet on it but we could wait until we get to that moment just before that line and then place our first bet if we wanted to and then decide to buy horses so i really like that fact that that i don't feel that pressure from the beginning that everything has to go into the horse i've been dealt yeah i'm i'm just as invested in all eight horses some to cross the line some to not cross the line um as others really and there's little things you can do like sam one thing sam did to me was in his concession sand he crossed something off which meant he could move a horse three steps back so even if it looks like it's a foregone conclusion at the beginning there's all these little slight little spanners that you can throw into the works not so many that it becomes a free-for-all and it just becomes a bit silly but just enough where there's that pleasing sense of uncertainty, as you were saying, of, well, I get the rare. And we had that with the third horse. Suddenly the third horse just romped ahead out of nowhere just because of a lucky dice roll. And and I think an important point that needs to be said, which I was really surprised about, is that it's so great to play a racing game that scales up player count-wise. Right. To have a, a two-player, yeah. that you know, we play this as a two-player game. This goes up to eight. And I've not obviously played an eight-player, but I had just as much fun in a two-player experience playing mm. a racing game mm. as I probably would yeah. with eight. That's, that says something, really, because I love Flamme Rouge. It's the racing game I own. Um, I love it to pieces. But I don't think that is an enjoyable game to play two-player. That's where you want a lot of people around with all the cyclists, and you want, you want to see that on the table, these different cyclists filling the board and the puzzle of the slipstream, all of that. Because you're always going to have eight horses in long shot, irrespective of how many players you have, it's great i could you know i could own two horses if i want to it's not like i get a you know we have one horse each and it's on this tight little board and it just does all the things i love about a roll and write game and does all the things i love about a racing and auction game it's 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 a perfect package yeah yeah and and it just like i i i did worry that it wouldn't be able to hold or be enough to create those narratives that make for such a great sporting spectacle either like it does some really nice things with so that secondary follow-on mechanic is important because that handles basically the odds of certain horses winning so certain horses like one and two have been crossed out on a lot of all the other cards so they're basically going to be moving a lot of the times but if they win you don't get as much of a return from them winning whereas the horses at the higher end so like seven and eight are not crossed out on any cards so putting a bet on them mm. is a higher risk because they never they never really get that secondary movement or it takes a lot more effort to get that secondary movement because you have to do it through the process of um, manually attributing it thanks to a dice roll right. so what that means is the game is always set up for those narratives of the outsider the the never had won or for the or for the you know the champion jockey to win again and like it's one of those games where i'm tempted and i'm you know i may, might be able to remember off the top of my head who won hours chris but i'm tempted to like actually when i log it on ScorePal to note who the horse was who owned it because i'd love to like 
you know, my favourite thing of watching the National Lottery was always, oh, there's number seven. Always comes out on a Tuesday, never on a Wednesday. And it's his 15th show right. this yeah, year. Yeah, and just yeah. like, you know, all those stats where it's just like, yeah, but yeah, num- yeah num- number eight never the wins. Stuff, number the stuff never that is won. clearly then, yeah. nonsense. But yes. there's there's a story behind it where you're like, yes, but is it true? No, but yeah. is it true? And like on mine and Chris's game, when we got to the end of our game, when we got to the end, like it was, it looked like, oh yeah, that that horse is gonna win, that horse is gonna win. But then, but no, no. But then number one was like coming up from the outside, so just yeah. just out of yeah. nowhere, like because the board is so small, mm. it, and it it means that it just takes one dice throw yeah. for any other horse to quickly go from like being in last place to like second or third to then start make you questioning like but who shall i put a bet on like who am i in this who do i want to win in this in this in this particular instance and it's just a thrill like it's just you know knowing that no one's going to come to any harm knowing that we're just having nice fun in in like a safe space and and for once playing the roll and write game i just didn't really care about if i was going to win or not like it was just a thrill to be part of that situation in that moment and knowing that everyone around the table was contributing it in, to it in some way was it was remarkable it's a very special game it's very good i've sent you a picture of the uh the march all right let me, let's march. let's just quickly describe <laughs> right, well let's quickly describe this for the actually you know what we'll put this picture up on the social medias should we do that should we do that We'll, yeah. put the, we'll picture up on, put the picture up on the soch. Can I just say all credit to the Fifth Emergency Service, the um, <laughs> the Canal Boat Rescuing Association, ever what vigilant, they Chris, <laughs> ever vigilant. Just something I never knew. I sleep at night knowing before. they're out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on guard, ready to help in any canal-based emergency. Our fifth line of defence. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> That was another episode of Staying In with Sam Turner, Peter Wellington and myself, Chris Darby. Uh, no Dan, I'm afraid. Um, he's a bit busy, um, unfortunately, this evening, but hopefully he'll be in the next step. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show. That was a nice one. We had a little bit of everything there. We had some film recommendations, a video game recommendation and a couple of board game recommendations as well. Uh, so a smorgasbord of things to discuss if you like what you heard feel free to let us know get in touch uh at staying in pod is the best handle to reach us on whether that be via instagram if you're into imagery twitter if you're into your tweeting or facebook if you're into your i don't know what happens on facebook i haven't had a facebook account for years but if that is your thing at staying in pod is the way in which you can contact us um really and details of all of this are in the show notes uh, for this episode as well uh, if you've got an audiobook game for example I myself would personally be interested to know what that is because genuinely it's something I have struggled to find myself the idea of listening to an audiobook whilst sitting down and doing something else is a bit of a struggle uh, so if there's something there that is open worldy but isn't necessarily story focused then uh, do let me know I'd be really interested to know about that 
Well, uh, that's enough from me. Uh, I'm going to try and see if I can book tickets to go and see another showing of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Bye.